sweet friend. This is Deeper Life, and I'm your host, Alexis Teichmiller. I'm a writer, content creator, and a woman on a journey to finding more depth in life. If you crave soul-filling conversations and long for a stronger connection to yourself and others, consider this your safe haven. It can be hard to embrace who we are, let alone share that with the rest of the world. The Deeper Life Podcast is a safe place to show up and hear conversations about relationships, emotional growth, and explore what it means to be vulnerable. If you're ready to dig deeper, I'm here to help you embrace who you are, reflect on your past, and connect with yourself. Welcome to A Deeper Life. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Life. Thank you so much for holding space for this podcast in your day. I promise that this particular podcast is 100,000% worth holding space for. I am just thrilled, honored, gushing with excitement to be able to have Dr. Nicole LaPera on the Deeper Life podcast, also known as the Holistic Psychologist, on Instagram with her 3.5 million Instagram followers. She has built an amazing community of individuals who are focused on healing, focused on understanding themselves, understanding their past, recognizing their patterns. And I'm just so thrilled to have Dr. Nicole LaPera on the podcast today. She was trained in clinical psychology at Cornell University and the New School for Social Research. She also studied at the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis. As a clinical psychologist in private practice, Dr. Nicole LaPera often found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. Wanting more for her patients and for herself, she began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual health that equips people with the tools necessary to heal themselves. Nothing short of a paradigm shift, Dr. Nicole LaPera's teachings empower the individual to break free from trauma cycles and create who they want to become. This podcast episode is incredibly powerful. We dig into several deep, deep topics. And towards the end, we talk about uh, Dr. LaPera's new book called How to Do the Work. I'm actually so excited. I'm hosting a book club, a free book club with whoever wants to join. I'll actually make sure that I put the link to that book club in the bio because it's going to be starting at the end of this month um, on March 28th. So if you're listening past March 28th, I'm sorry, we've already started the book club. But um, her new book, How to Do the Work, I haven't dug into it yet, but I have it. I got it a couple weeks ago, and I am just so excited. You will, I'm sure, end up buying the book after listening to this episode because of just how intentional, powerful, wise, and educational, you know, Dr. LaPera is. So Without further ado, enough of me introing and gushing and smiling and just being so excited to have had this time with her. Let's dig into today's episode. Here we go. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Deeper Life Podcast. My name is Alexis, and I am here with one of my like spiritual mentors, virtual mentors, someone that I have just learned so much about myself and has really encouraged so many people to dig deeper and that's a part of what we do here on the Deeper Life podcast. So welcome, Dr. Nicole LaPera. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Alexis. I am so excited to just uh, share this space with you today as we dig through a lot of important topics. And um, before we dig in, I'd love for you to kind of share, like, you know, you got on Instagram in 2018, started building this community. You're writing a book. Um, I'm curious, how, how has this journey been for you? Like what a, what a crazy four years. It's been crazy and it's been a journey. I think that's a yeah. really great way to describe it. Um, so going back in time, I, there was a time probably about five years ago where you wouldn't have seen me really online. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the platform. I didn't utilize the space of social media. Um, right. And the reason why I, I bring that up is because even the decision two years ago, um, that July, I think it was when I made mm -hmm. the choice to create the Instagram account, the holistic psychologist, 
was new for me and was scary. Um, I made the choice at that point because by then in my own healing journey, Mm -hmm. um, I had come upon some tools that I believed were incredibly helpful. Um, They were working for me and for my partner in our own personal lives um, after both of us in different ways dealing with symptoms, anxiety, patterns that don't serve us. Right. Uh, so I saw it online, I saw it as a space where people were beginning to utilize it, sharing stories, speaking truths, right. giving tools. Um, but the thought of me doing it mm-hmm. was really, really frightening for a couple of reasons. Um, first, I was not someone who was used to being in the spotlight in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I so desperately, as I think a lot of us do, want to be seen and heard, of course. The other side of that, for me at least, was a lot of fear and concern and worry about, well, what would people think as I begin to share, mm-hmm. whether it was my personal details in terms of my own healing or the shifts that I was making in my professional world. And of course, there opened up concerns around the field. What, were my, what would my colleagues think? Mm-hmm. You know, me talking about this new holistic model of wellness where we're empowering ourselves to become our own healers, surely they're going to think I'm nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so even that first step of going online brought up a lot, um, in my own healing journey, like I said, as a human, as a, on the personal side of things and on the professional side of things. And then of course, walking the journey, having no expectation of what would happen, mm-hmm. how big the community would be. I had no awareness that it was going to take off so internationally. Um, what I now understand is, you know, looking back and seeing how quickly this message started to spread. I think we're just, we were desperate for it as a collective and a lot of the things that were being talked about, the stories I was sharing of myself, of others I had come in contact with, as well as the tools, the journey of actually creating change were were universally resonating too. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was wild, I think, to say the least from that moment um, up until now, obviously now with endless opportunities that have been given to me to create the community of self-healers, a self-healer circle that was really, really near near and dear um, to me. And now, of course, the book. And it's just been incredible. Yeah. It's, and kind of what I'm hearing is it's vulnerable. You know, you're putting yourself out there in this way, personally and professionally, and there's that fear of how are people going to respond. But then it's also, did you feel uh, perhaps vulnerable in how you were going to manage it too, of, you know, putting this out there, not just for other people, but also for myself, like this is important in my own journey and to advocate and use my own voice. How is that like navigating, you know, internally the growth and, and all the opportunity. And I'm sure it's even unlocked more healing, you know, and more learning. Absolutely. There was a big part of me that that first hurdle of acknowledging that I have a voice Mm -hmm. and opinion a truth, as one might say, was a hurdle for me. Because I am someone who, again, on the personal side of things, the way I would show up in my relationships across the board, really, was not one where I embodied my truth. What I was doing, I think like a lot of us can resonate with, I was, you know, the helper, the caretaker, the person who showed up for others. Mm-hmm. So the way I understand it, I was, I was filtering my life, not through what is my truth in this moment, but through how will what I'm going to say, do, or be affect those around me. So so, like I said, from that first decision of saying no or acknowledging even, I have a truth that I can say that is mine based on my lived experience was incredibly, incredibly difficult. And then of course, once I put that truth out there, you're open to, if you're doing it online at least, endless opinions, endless interpretations, Mm -hmm. endless meanings assigned to what you're saying by other people. Right. Which of course then invites another layer of challenge. Okay, how do I hear, receive, take maybe the value that others are providing me, being mm-hmm. objective, being distanced, being an observer of what they're hearing me say or do or be, that can be valuable. Right. Also understanding though, that there's some projections, some meanings, right, that are being mm-hmm. assigned that aren't necessarily valuable. So then how do I inhabit that space where I can hear feedback? Mm-hmm. take what's mine or helpful for my growth, my evolution. Mm-hmm. And then of course, leave what isn't part of my own journey. And that is something I think still that is an endless conversation. And, you know, I'm trying to find that space. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a daily practice. I think that's something I've really learned and unlocked within myself in the last couple of years is 
vulnerability and self-compassion and holding space for my emotions, being open to feedback, but not changing who I am or my truth for other people. That is not a destination or a checkbox. It's such a practice. And I'm curious, how do you build those practices over time? I know they can kind of stack on each other, this idea of a holistic life and, and kind of healing yourself. I still think that we go to therapy because we want to fix ourselves, check. You know, we, we journal so that we can get our, our feelings out on paper, check. We have the tough conversation and set that boundary, check. And it's like, that is such an ongoing practice. And I think that we can get discouraged. And this is kind of a great segue into your book of like, doing the work is consistent. It's not this one-time thing. And it can just feel exhausting, overwhelming, and honestly intimidating. I'm laughing uh, I, <laughs> as a Virgo. I don't know how many of you out there resonating. I'm the queen of to-do list, checkbox, mm -hmm. check boxes. And if I'm honest, Alexis, I've been endlessly searching um, mm -hmm. until obviously the more recent few, uh, past where I've settled into the process of life. I've been searching for what I call my utopian hippie hammock of doneness. Where I can lay in a hammock, throw my peace signs, and be that D-O-N-E word that we're all, I'm done. I've healed, and now I can just be in love. Yes. Doesn't that sound lovely? Oh, I, I'm still looking. So if any <laughs> listeners out there have found the directions to said hippie hammock, I'm coming over. No, jokes aside, I don't think it exists. And, and right. for me, and I share this because I am I'm human like many, many others, and we want that. We want to find the prescription. We often want someone else to tell us that prescription. Um, and I you know, was in the field of being that someone else for a long time. I was the helper in the room, the professional, the person who had the answers. Mm -hmm. What I've come to realize, and this gets wrapped up in my definition, at least of self-healing, which is, I believe at least we, many of us are over-reliant on mm -hmm. something outside of ourselves, whether it's for answers, for the protocol, mm -hmm. for the steps. Um, and I don't think that it works that way. I think that's a very disempowering place to be, this idea that someone knows better. And I also don't think it works that way because what I've now come to find is I've met enough humans to really honor their uniqueness. There isn't a one size fits all. Even right. when I share my own journey as I do daily, you know, on Instagram or in the work, however you meet my work. And now in my book, I talk a lot about my own past and my own journey to healing, but you'll never once hear me say, here's steps one through five. Here's mm -hmm. the universal prescription. Everyone reading my book, go out and do these things. Right. I have some universal, you know, tools that I think are incredibly important for most of us humans. Right. But you'll never hear me speak in that very sweeping way. Cause again, I don't, I don't believe that to be true. I've met so many of us in our uniquenesses and while parts of people's individual journeys can resonate and help, that's why I share my journey with the hope that right. you can take parts um, of what, of what feels resonant to you. Mm -hmm. um, of course, leave the parts that don't. Um, and like I said, I think that that's what is important is us to take that control from outsourcing, from looking for someone or something outside of ourselves, as I had done myself mm -hmm. um, to finding that within. Mm -hmm. And when you're, when you're in that state of overwhelm, maybe you're walking through trauma and you're trying to heal and, or you're, you're taking those steps to take ownership for your healing it's almost like you're, you are looking externally and saying, okay, well, I got myself to the place where I'm mentally ready to heal. Now I need someone to tell me exactly how to do it. Right. And that can just be, um, you know, even like I'm in, I'm in psychotherapy right now, which has been incredibly helpful, but I still know that at the end of the day, she can't tell me exactly the things I need to fix in my life or, or the, the small changes, the big changes that I need to fix. That is, a sense of my ownership and it, it is on me. And I'm curious how, how does that, that shift of searching for someone else to give us that answer and then that taking that ownership and the responsibility of, you know, I love the phrase, um, it may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility and really taking ownership for the ways that we want to heal. You know, and I know that there aren't steps for that and I know it's a journey, but I'm curious kind of your experience with that and walking people through that self-healing kind of mindset shift. Mm -hmm. I mean, thank you for sharing your own experience in, in psychotherapy. I know mm -hmm. I've done that in the past. And 
for many of us outside support, whether it's in a therapist, you know, a doctor, a friend, a loved one, that community, whatever mm -hmm. it is, is part of right. the journey. Um, right. don't, you know, I, I making sure that, that I'm not being misunderstood and saying, don't seek out support. We are interpersonal creatures. Sure. We quite literally need relationships. However, <laughs> going back to just using you as an example, if you don't mind, not at all. My question always becomes, okay, you have a great hour in, in therapy, right? What happens outside of that room, right? Mm -hmm. What does your life, Alexis, for instance, look like on the day to day? Mm -hmm. Because what I've come to realize is our habits and patterns are lived out in those hours that I'm referencing and right. they're stored. Right. If we really want to talk about the physiology of it, as I often like to do, please, <laughs> um, I think, cause it can be really relieving for a lot of us. A lot of us carry shame because mm -hmm. we see these habits and patterns. We live the oftentimes really even maybe dire consequences of the things that we're doing day in and day out. And we can't seem to change. We're left, but to wonder what the heck is wrong with us. I must be broken. Um, so right down to our physiology, our habits, we become very habited and patterned in our neurology, in the way our neurons fire and wire. Many of us have probably heard that statement, right? that fire together, fire together, wire together. And they actually do. They create little pathways in our brain. So mm -hmm. back to, right, outside of supportive relationships aside, what does the day-to-day -day look like? Mm -hmm. And what many of us are doing is we're shifting from that conscious mind the part of our mind that can use our past to inform our future, can see the habits and patterns that don't serve us, right. can create plans to do things differently mm -hmm. so that our future and at a time can begin to look different. However, most of us shift back into an autopilot and we then operate right from those pathways that are kind of rutted into our brain, quite literally, mm -hmm. is the way I think about it. And we can't actually create that change. So to bridge that gap, we want to learn how in our day-to-day -day life, create those small habits. So like you very beautifully, eloquently said, they begin to stack. They mm -hmm. begin, they, and that I think is our best way of creating change because here's something else about that subconscious where all of those habits and patterns are stored. It actually doesn't want us to change. Mm -hmm. It quite honestly prefers living in those patterns right. because they're predictable. Even if I'm sure a lot of listeners are sitting here listening to me speak and maybe have accumulated a lifetime of negative consequences of these habits and patterns, right? It's not logical. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that quote unquote bad things happen when you do these things. According to our subconscious, the bad things are predictable. And mm -hmm. what's more risky than those things is the unpredictable, the unknown, the doing something new and not knowing what comes mm -hmm. next. So on top of the fact that we are so hardwired to be very habitual and to keep living in those habits and patterns, mm -hmm. when we begin to create change, it's highly uncomfortable for us. Yes. And this is why I don't think um, some of us tend to white knuckle it, right? We see our life, it's not going, it doesn't feel comfortable, mm -hmm. it's not going the way we would like it to go. So very understandably, often from incredible pain, we do come up with a new game plan. My life's going to look different tomorrow, top to bottom, right? And I have five new habits I'm going to start. And a lot of us, I believe, trying to white knuckle ourselves right through those habits. And maybe we do string together a couple of days, maybe even a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. But before long, like I said, that pull toward those familiar habits and patterns come. And then all of our habits come crashing down on us. And before we know it, we're right back where we started. However, this time, most of us are feeling more disempowered, mm -hmm. more hopeless. And like I said, even more problematically, some of us are beginning to feel more broken, more, you know, powerless to ever create change. Right. And I, I think that, I mean, as you were talking, I'm like, okay, yeah, I started that, quit that, started that, quit that. And it's this feeling. alone. We can all do that. I'm sure we all have a litany and myself included of all the things we've started and not completed. Mm -hmm. And it creates this narrative that we then use to reinforce, I'm a quitter. I, you know, I, I don't make, I don't keep the promises I've made to myself. Why even start something if I know I'm not going to stick with it? And so we create these, also these, I think, narratives that kind of reinforce the default patterns and kind of keep us where we are. Would you agree? Absolutely. And then we give, we accumulate more and more lived experience to confirm that narrative. Mm -hmm. Another part of ourself, and I talk about this a lot in, in my upcoming book, 
is how we do become a self-confirming machine. Mm -hmm. What once was an experience for a lot of us, a thought related to an experience, becomes something that gets repeated and repeated and the same situation causes the same thought and the same feeling. And then before I know it, it becomes a belief, whatever idea it is. And then that belief becomes a filter and we confirm that belief and confirm that belief and confirm Mm -hmm. that belief. And then we can't see another option by the time we're, you know, into our adulthood, we are so locked in our beliefs. And it's because we've confirmed them and confirmed them just like you're saying. Yeah. We stop doing things and then we see ourselves and we say, oh, okay, you stop because you can't, you're hopeless, you're, you're lazy or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. you're giving yourself evidence of that because you stopped, right? The more you do that, the mm-hmm. more this becomes part of who you are. Yeah. And I, I think it also kind of feeds into that overarching narrative that people can't change. And I think that's something else that I know I've struggled with in my past because of childhood trauma. I was very angry. I had this simmering anger underneath me almost at all times. And over time, I was able to heal that. And I don't feel that anger anymore. And I don't, I don't feed into the anger and I also don't nourish it. You know, I I recognize that sometimes I have anger and anger is not a bad thing. I can learn from that anger, but the way I access that anger and use it to communicate have completely changed in the last seven years. And I think that we can, we can just get really discouraged about ourselves and where we are. And we just think, this is just who I am. I am an angry person. I am someone who holds grudges. I am someone who gossips. I am, like you just, we start to reinforce these more negative or unhealthy or harmful to ourselves or others behavior. And then we, we just kind of stay in that place. So I would, I'm curious from your perspective, And again, not looking for, you know, a one, two, three steps, but how do we change, right? Like at what point do we say, okay, I recognize my past. I'm looking at all this historical data that says I'm, you know, I might quit. How do I, how do we actually change? So I want to answer this in two ways because there's the, why do we change? And then the, how do we change? Right. Right. The why do we change, I think, is different for for all of us. Mm -hmm. Some of us change because life gets to the point of feeling intolerable, right? The way that it is continuing. We've accumulated Mm -hmm. enough negative repercussions of whatever it is that we desire to change. I bring up the why. Um, I think this is a difficult truth. Typically, a reason why we we change is not, I'm trying to think of how I was going to word that, what else? And here's why I say this, because I know a lot of us so desperately wish a lot of people in our lives would be different. And we try to be the attempt, right? We, we try to be the person, the thing, say the thing, have, be the relationship that matters enough mm-hmm. to have someone else change seemingly for us. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm just hitting a pause and, and offering the why, because um, I believe that change has to come from within, mm-hmm. um, because I'm going to talk about the how next. Because change isn't the light switch, right? Isn't one person pointing out, oh, you know what, Nicole, if you just would do this a little less, our relationship would be better. Oh, right, light switch, I'm different. Absolutely not. I think as you and I have been discussing, change doesn't happen quickly, doesn't happen overnight. Change Mm -hmm. actually happens when we begin to make new choices. Mm -hmm. And the way we begin begin to create the space to make new choices going to go with an alliteration of a lot of C's is by creating (laughs) a new habit of consciousness in our daily life. Mm. Because going back to those neural pathways, right, that live in our mind, um, they actually live in a part of our mind, quite simply, as I often discuss physiology in the body in really simple terms, they live in a part of our mind that's called the subconscious, Mm. operates outside of our awareness, the very reason why many of us are very patterned. We don't have to think about the first thing we do in the morning or how we go about our day. It's typically the same habitual way we always go about our day. Right. So if I don't do something different tomorrow, even if you've given me this great piece of information, if I don't do anything with it. If I don't make a new choice tomorrow, chances are it's my autopilot that's going to dictate. Mm-hmm. And chances are the autopilot's going to do the same thing it always does at that time of the day, in this type of situation, in this relationship, it knows what happens next because it's been practicing what happens next for most of us for the better part of our life. Right. So how do I create change 
I have to begin to make new choices. And the way I do that is I show up consciously. Mm-hmm. I learn and I actually am training my brain. If you want to, again, go into the physiology of it, yeah. there's our, our conscious mind is housed in our prefrontal cortex. It's right here, right behind mm-hmm. our, our forehead. So we can learn just like fire and wire, right? We can learn how to fire up those neurons and train ourselves to be conscious, to be present, Mm -hmm. to see the moment now as a new moment separate from our past, Mm -hmm. which will have the pull of our subconscious present, right? That's always there. We have that tendency. We can have that thought, feel that urge, right? See ourselves compelled to do that old thing. Yeah. And what we want to cultivate using that word intentionally, because again, not the light switch. Mm-hmm. You don't hear me speak and develop consciousness tomorrow. We have to create the space to almost experience that old self, those pulls, mm-hmm. and to have space for a new choice, mm-hmm. which might be a new thought, a new action, something we do different. And that's how we actually create change. We gift ourselves with choice, which comes through living consciously. Mm-hmm. It kind of, I mean, it's awareness at at this level of recognizing that not only do we have choices, but the power that those choices can give us through being able to actually change. And that, I think that we can sometimes become disempowered thinking that life is happening to us. We aren't taking charge of our lives and we kind of go on this autopilot. And I, I think that can sometimes create uh, patterns of depression, patterns of anxiety, of feeling like, well, this is just, this is just where I'm at in life. And, and I don't really have control over. For someone that's struggling with that, that confidence, maybe that self-esteem, and to be able to practice that awareness and recognize I have power of choice, um, what would you say to someone that's, that's struggling with that? I, would, I first want to you know, normalize, yes. normalize that disempowerment and acknowledge that was a big catalyst for me and a big symptom, for lack of a better word, of my dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. feeling that level of powerlessness. Not only was I unable to create, help my clients create change, which was a job that I had trained. I mean, if you ask me, I was intuitively always going to be a psychologist. So it's always been what I've been working and studying and, you know, um, learning toward. So not only was I bad at my job, you know, and I had a whole bunch of like self image wrapped up around that. Mm. I was being perfectly honest. I was incredibly disempowered in my life because I was living reactively too. Mm. So I think it's only natural that we do end up feeling reactive and disempowered because we, we don't have choice because we don't understand that we can create that space. All we witness and experience of ourself is the same old that thing happens, I do this thing. Mm-hmm. And then of course, the more insight and awareness you have, the more time, whether or not it's because you just do this yourself, or you've again, accumulated enough negative consequences, or you have the very well-intentioned loved ones that are saying, you know, to call every time you do this thing, you, know, you see the writing on the wall here, you know what I mean? Like, yes, no matter yes. how much insight is how I call it, we have, mm-hmm. some of us might even have, like I said, the action, that the new plan, we cannot, we still are so reactive that it's not until way after the fact and I'm now in the, you know, the shambles of what I've created and my re- overreaction, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and I can't do it. So I just want to acknowledge how natural it is to feel that degree of disempowered. Yes. And to understand that the way we cultivate empowerment is a process. We don't just become empowered because I've told you that you have choice, right? We don't. We don't, we don't really gain wisdom until we've lived the experience of mm-hmm. gifting ourselves with choice. Mm-hmm. And the way that comes, going back to something I shared earlier, we don't want to change. So if you're going to be that person that writes five new things to do and tries to white knuckle it, you're probably going to set yourself up for another disempowering experience. Mm-hmm. So I actually highlight someone who's really near and dear. Her name is Allie in my book. Um, because I am just so inspired by her story day in and day out so much that I put her in the book right? because she really highlights, I call it small daily promises. Mm -hmm. And what it is, it's the concept of creating change through small daily acts, not changing my life from top to bottom and five new behaviors tomorrow, 
right. taking something that's almost negligible, almost not noticeable. Allie's first small daily promise to herself after a lifetime of what I call self-betrayal, broken promises, in other words, was every day, and listeners might roll their eyes when I say this, was drinking one glass of water. That's it. And she made that promise. She rolled her eyes at herself. Oh, Allie, oh, great. You drank a glass of water today. However, it's not what you're doing in this idea of small daily promise. Mm. It's the action of keeping it. Right. Because what happens over time, if you are someone like Allie, like myself, like probably many of us listening, who've intended to change and haven't, you are going to have that eye roll. You're going to say, okay, sure, you're going to keep this promise. There's a part of you that knows you're not. Mm. However, the more consistently you show yourself alignment between intention, the promise, and the action of keeping it, over time, that alignment, in my opinion, and in my lived experience, and now many others, that begins to shift. And it begins to rebuild that lost trust in yourself. Right. So little by little, you begin to trust yourself again. Right. When you say you're going to do something, even if it's still that glass of water three months later, by month three, you kind of don't roll your eyes anymore. You know, you're going to walk over at some point in your day and drink that water. You're right. going to be a little more trusting of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then the more you practice that again over time, you know, building that platform, adding slightly bigger promises after bigger promises. Now, before long, you actually become confident. You become mm-hmm. empowered. That begins to expand between I can drink a glass of water to I, I do things that I say. I keep my own promises. Yeah. And when I don't, when I don't, I'm saying that intentionally because there might come a day where you don't do your routine. Right. You decide for whatever reason that you're not going to keep that promise that day for whatever reason. This is what empowerment is, in my opinion. You don't worry anymore. You don't worry that your whole world is going to come crashing down. You know that you can empower yourself to return. So for instance, I was away for a couple of weeks. My routine didn't look exactly like it looked when I'm home. Of course. I didn't fear that when I got home, I would, before I know it, be circling the toilet and back into my old habits. I knew that I could empower myself any moment to return. And that's what empowerment is. So it starts by bringing alignment between intention and action doesn't matter the promise, please start small because you're going to overwhelm that system that doesn't want to change. The smaller, the better. Yes. Don't think that you're going to celebrate yourself in the beginning. You're probably going to roll your eyes and tell yourself how little and stupid this is. (laughs) However, if you're like Allie and you can follow her journey in the book, um, obviously that small daily promise of one glass of water has expanded. She's seen incredible improvements in her health as someone who is becoming debilitated with Mm -hmm. symptoms of multiple sclerosis. She's in remission. Um, Of course, needless to say, you can read all about her though. Her promises have expanded and she's really reversed a lifetime like many of us have of that Mm self-betrayal and began to empower herself toward change. Thank you for sharing her story. I'm really excited to read the book and I've I've never actually looked um, through through the lens of that version of empowerment of when I step away from my promises or I'm on vacation or something happens in life, empowerment is being able to return and know I've got my back and not being able to worry about that, 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 I don't know if you could tell, but I like took a breath in and I was like, oh, I am receiving that. Like I'm, you know, I'm trying to build that practice right now. And, you know, starting, starting small is, is where it is. And we, I think um, we tend to think an all or nothing, right? It's this all in, all out, you know? And as sometimes lovely as that can be, um, it can also be a detriment, I think, in whenever we're trying to make changes. There's a book um, called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I couldn't recommend that book enough. He just talks about being 1% better. Like just, you know, doing these small incremental, like decimal point changes in our lives every day that can then create this larger change over time. And I think when you're able to kind of break it down and think through it in that way, it does make it more attainable. Absolutely. And I'm going to go as far to offer another piece um, of this, which is that we aren't as much as we like to be consistent creatures in terms of our mood. 
our body's needs, it shifts, it changes. We have hormone fluctuations. Mm -hmm. There's some days where it actually would benefit us to not do that very structured, that very structured routine that maybe we do every day. Mm -hmm. So again, we are, we are what I call transient creatures. We shift, we change, we're variable. So I even think there's a detriment. And I used to be this person to some extent, this idea of looking for this external structure. Okay. This is just how my days look and get so almost hyper regimented mm. that I didn't leave any flexibility for the definite ex- times multiple where my body wasn't up for whatever that schedule, right. Would warrant or would entail that day. Mm. Or maybe my mood, you know, was in a different place and I needed to, you know, to expend my energy in a different way than I had quote unquote planned. Right. So I think that's another piece to consider which is, this is why, again, I, I, the goal of this work of self-healing in general is to re-empower ourselves from within. Mm-hmm. Because as much as we like to, we don't know what happens next. We don't know what comes even in the next hour, let alone the next day. Mm-hmm. I can't predict exactly how my body will feel and what its needs will be. I don't mm-hmm. know how I'll sleep tonight. So even if I have these plans tomorrow, right, my hours of sleep might dictate how I feel tomorrow mm-hmm. that might benefit me to amend those plans. So again, my belief is if we empower ourselves internally to have that guidance, that intuition, mm-hmm. to know how to check in with ourselves, then we can better equip ourselves for the ever-changing experience of being human. Mm. I love that. I'm curious, and because a lot of what we're talking about is that inner soul level work, and a lot of that can come from our conditioning. It could come from our past. It comes from our childhood. It can originate from trauma. It can originate from how our parents processed their emotions, regulated, were they passive aggressive, were they aggressive, were they avoidant? And a lot of that can kind of pass on to us. And I'm curious, and this is a lot of the work I'm doing too, just individually, is recognizing the patterns that I was raised in and recognizing, do those patterns, does that conditioning, does that brain mapping, does that serve me where I am right now in my life? And then sometimes the judgment that can come along with that, of judging myself, of recognizing, um, oh, I'm recognizing that this pattern doesn't serve me, shame can come up, judgment can come up. And then also the, the thoughts that we have towards our parents or towards our conditioning or the way we were raised can sometimes surface that judgment and that shame as well. And so sometimes I just want to avoid it, right? It's like, this is really, you're talking about doing the work, like like doing that child, that inner child, talking to your inner child and recognizing the ways that your childhood impacted you now as an adult and then how that manifests into your behavior and your thoughts and into your relationships, into everything. So I know this is a really big topic, but it's something that, you know, I've really studied your work in this way and it's really helped me kind of break open and and not look at it in such an intimidating way, but it's just a daily practice and this building, this awareness. So I'm curious, like, where do you even start when recognizing your inner child and, and really kind of building that awareness towards your childhood conditioning? So the subtitle um, on my book, it's recognize your patterns, heal from your past and create yourself. The first two, um, I intentionally, you know, put as the subtitle, recognize your patterns, heal from your past. Mm -hmm. Here's where I offer a universal truth or so. I think we are all a product of our past in different ways. Right. We are all so impacted. Um, whether again, it's, it's, you know, in, in terms of our bodies, right. You know, we all, come from a body. We come from, you know, cells of two humans that came together. So to some extent we are genetically impacted by those that came before us. Mm-hmm. So that stress and inflammation and all the hormonal changes that go along with that, that our re- reactions from trauma mm-hmm. do get passed down in our cells. Mm-hmm. So genetically we're affected by our lineage, if you will. Um, we're also affected behaviorally by we are learning, I put it this way, you know, when we come to, to, to earth, however it is you think we get here, we are wide-eyed. I mean, think about looking at babies. Our brain is firing in theta waves. It's setting us up to be receiving of the world. The silly way I put it is we're learning how to be human. We are in boot camp, right? Right. Body, how do I tend to it? What are these emotions? Woo, it's wild in here, you know? 
my soul? How do I express in the world? Is it safe to that? Mm. So we are learning. And again, our brain is firing this very receptive way. We also are gifted with something that's called mirror neurons in our brain, which fire as we watch other people relating. So we're actually intimidating them, whether, I mean, uh, imitating them, whether or not we are aware of it or not by just watching. Furthermore, complicating things. We're interpersonal, even at birth, meaning we're in relationship with others. We're actually quite in need of those relationships when we're in infancy because we can't meet our physical needs on our own. We would die as infant humans if we didn't have a caretaker. Again, our caretakers are variable depending on whom and where we were born and to whom, et cetera. So we need to relate. So now we're in relationship again, being affected, imprinted by everything happening around us. So all of us humans, in my opinion, are some, to some degree, a product of our past. Right. The reason why I spend time on this is because, again, I think a lot of us, like you're, you're very beautifully and vulnerably sharing, carry a lot of shame, don't want to know, don't want to see those similarities, right? Are uncomfortable um, by how we continue to witness ourselves showing up in the world as impacted by that which we learned and were modeled into childhood. Mm. Um, so again, I think that's quite a universal I think we carry our past with us. Um, I share in my book as well, because I am someone, and until I started to speak universally um, about the fact that I have very limited memory of my childhood. Um, and I thought that I was convinced uh, to, for, for a very long time that there must, must be something wrong in my brain. I must have some sort of neurological damage in my memory area. Uh, I now realize that the way I was coping from a very young age, I was doing something that was called dissociating. Um, I was disconnecting from my lived experience. So I really wasn't present to be forming the memories. I'm really simplifying this for a reason. So I wasn't present really in childhood to form memories. So like some of us can, you know, review, well, what, what were holidays like as a child? Like have that called mm -hmm. autobiographical memory, the movie screen of what life looked like. Right. Mine's blank, mine's fuzzy. I don't really know. And the okay. reason why I'm sharing this is we are, and I, so as soon as I started to talk about this, I was relieved that, I mean, unfortunate for many others who have the same experience, I was relieved to see that I wasn't alone. It wasn't something neurological. There's a reason why a lot of us struggle to remember. And here's why I'm bringing this up. Even for those of us who don't remember, because the next natural question I get is, okay, well, if I don't know the past, how can I know what hurt me? How do I know how to change? Mm. Here's where I offer that because we're so imprinted by our past, we're a living replica of it in so many ways. Mm. So if you're like me, if you're unsure, if you wonder, do I have to know exactly what happened to affect me in this way? Here's where I offer you the reassurance that no, you don't. What you can do is begin to become conscious to yourself right now as you are. Observe. See what your habits and patterns are. How do you take care of this physical body? Going back to that self. How do you navigate your emotional body? Right? What do you do with your feelings? Do you have them? Or are you like me? I'm, nothing bothers me. I'm so far from my feelings. Mm. That's a symptom of dissociation. Do you have a standard way you cope? Do you kick? Do you scream? Do you yell? Or do you like me? Detach, dissociate. Nothing bothers me. Mm. Further still, what about spiritually? How connected to your essence are you? Do you feel like you're just able to be your quote unquote self in the world? Or are you constantly wearing masks in your relationship, showing up as the helper, the caretaker, et cetera? Mm. So as you observe yourself, you'll see those habits and patterns that you've probably likely carried. Some of you might very, you know, shockingly be able to know, oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Some of you may not know where that comes from. Mm -hmm. Chances are, though, feelings are going to come up as you begin to see all of this. So to speak to your point, it's uncomfortable. For a, There's a reason why I remained dissociated for as long as I did, because dropping into my body didn't feel safe. It felt overwhelming. I didn't know how to relate to people. I didn't want to know. And so as I began to engage in healing, and as I think a lot of us do, um, part of the journey is is not only breaking those patterns, but living in the discomfort of witnessing them and of changing them along the way. And as hard as that work can be, I think sometimes in the, some of the work that I'm doing personally, 
is, is not pointing fingers and not blaming because that can be like, when you start to really build that awareness up and you're like, well, this is my pattern and this is where I know it originated because then it was, you know, passed on from this to this, to this, it, awareness is not using an opportunity to blame someone else for something that you're working through. Um, and maybe, I don't know if blame is the right word here, um, Nicole, but I do feel like sometimes you can look for a reason and then you can put all the energy into, well, this is your fault. And now I'm dealing with this. And, and how do you navigate that as an adult, you know, going back into that child self, not necessarily trying to search for blame, um, but, but try to kind of to heal through that. I think it's natural to do that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if we are living the continued consequences of whatever that thing or those things were, um, I think it's really natural to have whatever feeling might come up, right? Anger, right. grief, devastation, loss, all the things that are very common. Um, I also think it's very natural then to want to go back and tell the person, get them to acknowledge, fix it. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple things to this, you know, first just pulling back something that I can think that could be very helpful is acknowledging, right? The lineage that that person came from. So if I'm thinking about my mom, what did her parenting look like? How was it like for her and her family? And what I came to realize, I think is a lot of us do, that it's, we see those patterns, right? Very, she was raised very similarly to the way she was raising me. Yeah, I think very intentionally, some people, parents make shifts, changes um, to do di differently. The, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up is I think we can expand a bit and, and offer ourselves, you know, the awareness that just like I'm limited by that, which I learned to do, my caretakers were as well. So many of us were raised by parents, parent figures that were limited to a certain extent. And you can see that if you know enough about their upbringing um, to know, you know, what they were capable of knowing, doing, teaching, um, and what they, they weren't capable of. So I think that's an important part of it. Like I said, I think it's natural. I talk about it in my book, um, the desire to go back, mm -hmm. uh, to get, whether it's the apology, um, the acknowledgement, maybe start there, the acknowledgement that then could shift maybe into an apology. If we're really honest, I think some of us want a third thing to happen, change. I want the person to stop doing that thing, you know, so that that can just now go away that I know this doesn't work for me anymore. Right. Unfortunately, while some of us, right, might have these hard conversations, might get some degree of acknowledgement where a parent figure says, you know what, you know, Nicole, that did happen. Mm. Some of us, then maybe that person can offer the apology, maybe work to create a new relationship in the future. However, some of us might not get that. Some of us might get actually the opposite of acknowledgement. We might get denial that never happened. And again, in here to create this space, um, we can only see that which we're willing to see. Mm -hmm. um, and as uncomfortable as some of these sites are in our own journey, we can imagine how uncomfortable some of these things are for our parent figures who have been living for, for many of us decades, even longer in these same habits and patterns that we have. Now, here's where I also acknowledge doesn't mean that we have to maintain the same type of relationship with these people as we're coming to these awarenesses mm -hmm. and do something with the information, if you will, right? We can right. come to the realization that, you know, now that I know all of this, I witness myself, I can see how this dynamic isn't the best for me and I can create change now myself mm -hmm. for how I feel in this relationship. So it's not me telling me, me, me suggesting that any of us explain away, oh, well, my caretaker's limited. You know, they, they didn't learn from their, their, their parent figures. So I have to love them by showing up regardless. Absolutely not. I can change the way I show up, um, still honoring their limitations and also now honoring myself. Thank you for breaking that down. That was um, very healing to hear that all in one breath. So just like being able to hear that all explained at the same time, I think that I've been in sections of that journey and, and sometimes it's, it's tough for me to connect them all. You know, it's like you're connecting the awareness to the healing, to the acknowledgement of their limitations while also maybe setting boundaries and, and recognizing where you're able to engage in that relationship or not engage in that relationship and, and how vulnerable am I and, and where does the trust 
you know, how do we trust again? Or how do we rebuild trust? How do we access forgiveness too? And I, I think that's something that can be difficult as we're working through childhood conditioning and even childhood trauma is how, how do you prioritize or I guess um, where on the journey is forgiveness? Is forgiveness a part of that journey? And is it necessary, I guess, for the journey? I want to confirm, you know, we're talking about the same forgiveness or the definition of forgiveness. Because mm. I think sometimes we, we wrap up in the definition of forgiveness, the concept of continuing, okaying, condoning, mm. for lack of a better word. And I just want to acknowledge again here that forgiveness, understanding, you know, allowing that which was to be and making peace with it, whatever, you know, that is in terms of the process of forgiveness, doesn't again mean that we condone the behavior and continue to be present to it in whatever way. So I think that's just an important distinction. Thank you. And I hear a lot of people that merge those two and think Mm -hmm. that forgiveness means, right, I just have to steel myself against whatever the problem is in this relationship and keep showing up um, because I forgive you, right? And that's that's not necessarily the case. We can forgive and still acknowledge the need for change. Boundaries, like you brought up very beautifully, um, are an important process for a lot of us in creating new dynamics or new safety Mm -hmm. in our relationships. Um, Is it a necessary part? I think for a lot of us, it is a part of the journey. You know, we come to these realizations because we're doing it for ourselves as well. So much of this, which starts internally, the more compassion I can have for myself, the more I can extend that to others. Some of us can do it the opposite pathway. I can practice extending compassion to others. That might be a little more natural and then practice extending that compassion inward to myself. I'm definitely the latter, you know, doing it externally before practicing it internally. Uh, You know, there's this kind of quote of like, how, how you speak to a friend is how you would speak to yourself. And that's, that's been a tough journey of, of, you know, holding that space and that compassion and that vulnerability and that love for other people. And then actually learning to do that for myself has been a journey (laughs) to say the least. Um, Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing the, the kind of distinction around forgiveness. I think that's oftentimes that, um, the weight that the word forgiveness carries is now we must move forward and we must keep in the same, you know, we must keep the same relationship dynamic. And I'm curious from like relational dynamics between parents and recognizing patterns that they taught you and taking ownership for those. I know that in 2020 in particular, was a year where we globally experienced trauma and we globally experienced pain and, and, and suffering in a lot of ways in this collective way that I don't think, at least in my lifetime, I have never experienced such a worldwide emotional um, journey that other people, you know, you could say the word 2020 for years to come and people are going to feel things immediately when they hear that. And this past year, I think a lot of people recognized through, you know, it was a really heavy political year we know this. Um, It was also a really big year and one of the biggest racial justice movements since the 60s in America and then worldwide. I think there was this reckoning with a lot of people of of taking ownership for ways that they were contributing to systemic racism, systemic poverty, ways that we have taken on biases from long, long ago that live in us now. And that journey can come up with a lot of shame and a lot of judgment. And, and we can tend to want to avoid it altogether because it's uncomfortable. You know, it, I kind of use the word in my head, like, oh, it's like icky, like, oh, you know, you feel it internally of like, that's going to be tough. Um, doesn't mean that the work is not important. It's, in my opinion, some of the most important work I could ever do. Um, so I'm just curious from your perspective, navigating those biases, navigating and taking ownership for the role that we play as an individual and then as a collective, um, how, how do you navigate that work and just any advice or insight that you could give us as, as we're all on this journey to equity, inclusivity, kindness, love, like acceptance and holding space for each other? 
Yeah, this actually connects. I'm really happy you asked this because, yes, I mean, I think 2020 will go down in infamy and, and in it um, has come to the surface a lot of the realities um, that us as individuals and more so as a greater macro, as a collective, have been living. I mean, since for many of us, again, the dawn of time, even before right. we existed here in, in this body as this personhood. Um, so back to something we were talking about earlier that applies here, in my opinion, which is this concept of being self-confirming in terms of our beliefs. So something I learned very early on in my clinical training that I now apply quite globally was a moment I was in with a supervisor that I had very early on. And this was a person who I was very open about anxiety and my experience with it when I was in my training. Blah, blah, blah. So this, this person, the supervisor was very well aware that I identified as being an anxious person. I got anxiety. I knew it. I lived it. Long story short, I was in a session and I was talking about a client who also experienced anxiety and in sharing about this client, my supervisor urged me in using this example to, she said, you know, Nicole, I understand. I know you have anxiety. So when you ask, you know, Cheryl or whatever her name was, you know, what brings you in? And she says, anxiety, you have two choices here. She said, you could either just note anxiety and keep it moving, or you could ask what she means by anxiety. And she, at that point, the supervisor strongly urged, I always ask, especially when what the person is telling me sounds like an experience I've had. Because what we do in that moment, if I hadn't asked, what do you mean, Alexis, when you say anxiety or Cheryl, whoever it is, mm -hmm. my mind was gonna subjectify it. I was gonna paint over your experience of anxiety with my experience of anxiety, because that's how I define anxiety to me. Mm -hmm. like, that's what it is. So for me, it was obsessive thoughts. I had some tick-like behaviors. I had it all. Panic. I had the whole slew. So that's what this person now had. How was I to know that their experience wasn't or was like that without asking? Wow. This was such a pivotal moment where yeah. I learned how subjective we all are at all times. Mm. Now, when I say that moment, it isn't just when something resonates or I relate to it. We are viewing the world, this is again, the very simple way I describe it, through the lens, through lenses all the time. Right. You know, our beliefs, which are impacted by our past experiences, which for most of us predate even our experience in this body, passed down through generations, impact the way we are seeing and therefore experiencing the world. Mm -hmm. So whether or not we're talking about our implicit biases when we have the conversation around racism or our beliefs just about ourselves, our place in the world, our future, they become the lenses that we're viewing the world. So we, and we are, this, this, in my opinion, applies universally, unless we practice out of it, unless we practice to identify the lenses that we're viewing the world from and try to cultivate as close, because this is where we can get into a discussion forever, as close to objectivity, right? right quote unquote, the truth, <laughs> a capital T, right? Yeah. As possible. So Right. This is where we can drive ourselves crazy with finding that big T truth of things. Mm -hmm. Point being of this conversation, we're all incredibly subjective. The more intimate we can become with our own biases, our own filters, um, seeing them, the more we can, again, like we were talking about earlier, expand and create choice in that moment. So I can decide whether or not that filter applies or whether or not I can ditch that for a new, more updated one. That's really powerful. And Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to process that because I've never heard it from that perspective. And I think that that can open up ways to navigate conversation with each other as we, you know, it, something that I'm realizing is that because something is important to me, doesn't mean it, and, and change and choice is important to me. doesn't mean it's important to someone else. And so as I navigate this, uh, at a personal level, at a relational level, it's also making space for that other person and their own subjectivity. And when you're on opposing views or you're, you're navigating that conflict while still trying to remain respectful and like continue to invite respect and love into the conversation, that can be really difficult, you know, because you're passionate. This is this is your core belief. This is who this is your soul. This is who you are. And it's deeply emotional and it's deeply personal. And as you navigate that with each other, 
how how do you keep a sense of perspective as you're navigating these conversations you know in a lot of the conversations around race i have with white people i am white and i i feel a sense of i don't know if responsibility is the right word but i when it does come up i use the opportunity to to discuss race because i think it's one of the most powerful things that white people can do together to um combat systemic racism is to have these conversations with each other instead of relying on black indigenous people of color to do the work for us and so as i navigate these conversations how do you continue to bring that objective perspective to these conversations i think a great question whether or not again we're having a necessary and difficult conversation around race or anything sure sure i i urge I make a practice of doing this myself and I urge all of us to do this is to pull back before we engage in whatever conversation it is with ever with whom it is and to ask yourself one important question or so I believe which is what is the intention of this right and if the sole intention of the conversation sole intention only intention is to change other person then I I believe right we can pull back and it would be beneficial to make space for another intention. The intention here could be to speak my truth as well. This is my truth. This is my belief around racism and white people or its place, whatever it might be, my truth, right? Mm -hmm. If we can expand to that, that's, a, a, in my opinion, a much more productive place to be because here's what we can't control, what the other person does with what we say. Mm -hmm. Even if we very eloquently, very calmly, like you're saying, yes, a lot of times emotions get involved. We actually shift back into our emotional brain and then neither of us are hearing each other. Right. So a very ideal conversation where it's very calm and I express my truth, what the person does with that truth, whether or not they shift or change their behavior is largely outside of my control. Now, again, here's where it doesn't mean that I have to continue to engage in relationship with this person or their way of being as painful as that might be to see some of these relationships or make the choice to remove oneself or distance oneself from some of these relationships. I hear this a lot around family. What do I do with my family? Who's racist in this way or acting in this way that doesn't work for me much more complicated. However, again, family aside, friend aside, cannot change another person. So, if we welcome, and I, I voice this because I find, and I, I do this too, to some degree still, a lot of times we approach the conversation with the only desire to be to change someone else. Mm -hmm. If you hear what I'm saying, you will do differently now. I need you to stop doing this, please, yesterday. Yes. And unfortunately, this is where we set ourselves and the relationship up for not only disappointment, but sometimes even demise because we can become incredibly then resentful when you don't change. And when you continue to bring this issue into my life because you're not changing, you become the problem. And I've done this. I would go through a litany of relationships pointing to how everyone else was the issue, not meeting my need in this way, an issue for that thing, not realizing, and it took me years to do this along the way, that at some point I have to look back and ask myself, why am I still showing up? If this is such a problem, this person is racist and, and causing issue in, in my life, I need to remove myself. From that mm -hmm. um, so intention I think is important checking in with oneself yes having these hard conversations um, we might be the person who is received you know by the other is heard um, might might take and do something with what they hear us share and we can be the catalyst for change um, though again whether or not we can demand change and how effective that is and like I said I think a lot of us do approach conversations with that being our only why if like I said we can expand and say well you know what my why that would be a great byproduct but my my number one why is to express to this person my belief in this area and then I give them choice this is where it's beautiful mm -hmm. now I empower this other human to do something or not and all of that's information then for me to use to modify moving forward, how I show up in the relationship. I have work to do. <laughs> like just listening to this, 
is very, I feel convicted. I feel hopeful. You know, I, I'm, I'm in a good headspace about this, but this has been really helpful for me to shift my conversations away from that intention of trying to change someone and really towards this understanding of this is my truth and communicating that and also giving them space to communicate their truth. And that can be a difficult, you know, regardless of what com conversation you're having, if there's a lot of emotion involved, you know, we, it's tough for us to give and extend that space for someone else uh, while also being able to communicate our own truth. So thank you for walking me through that. I, I have, I'm going to journal after this. I've got some things to journal through and I'm, I'm feeling really, um, I'm feeling really excited about coming at this from a, 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 an emotionally mature way. And I think that that's, you know, where that can come in is we get emotional and some of that, that younger self, we kind of go back into that, that default behavior. And yeah, thank you so much. I wanted to kind of pivot in and, and I know we're at time. And so I just wanted you to share where can people connect with you, get your book and continue to learn from you. Yeah. So every day um, I'm on Instagram, the.holistic.psychologist, um, using it to share not only my story, because I still am walking the healing journey right alongside everyone. So a lot of times the content I share is really informed by, you know, where I am in the journey and or, you know, like I said, what has worked for me. Um, just a story for people to pick and choose and take the parts that resonate and work for them. Um, I'm also obviously putting out daily content um, in terms of tools. How do I create change? Consciousness, we talk a lot about these patterns, these inner child wounding, um, essentially how to heal. So each and every day on Instagram at the.holistic.psychologist, I'm super excited because my new book, How to Do the Work, um, offers me the opportunity to really deep dive in a way that Instagram doesn't. Um, right. So it, I really offer the unified um, theory of, of what I like to think about as you know, holistic psychology or holistic wellness, really mm -hmm. understanding how we're impacted by our past and mm -hmm. how to create a future. So the book is really exciting for me because it finally gives me the space to really dive more fully into, into it all from, like I said, the tools of it, the concepts, what are we talking about and why, mm -hmm. um, in addition to at the end of each chapter, getting really practical. Um, I give journal prompts, I give exercises, I give how to translate what I've read, make that bridge. How does this look in daily action? Because um, like I said, I think a lot, nothing that I'm talking about in the book, um, in Instagram is fully new. This is right. out there. This is for many of it. It's been here and, you know, throughout the ages. Yes, there's some new science that, you know, we're, we're universally figuring and finding out though it's, it's been here. Um, though I think that it's, it's for a lot of us felt a little impractical um, the way some of these concepts I think are approached. Right. So a goal of the work always for me has been, how do I translate some of this into understandable? Okay, what does ego look like in real life? What does an inner child look like in my day to day? Mm -hmm. Make it a little less con conceptual and a little more practical. So I'm super excited that the book allows, um, in addition to, like I said, the content that is on Instagram and YouTube at the holistic dot psychologist, um, the book is really going to be the deep dive into it. So I'm super excited to, to get that out into the world. Oh, I'm so excited. I think me and some of my girlfriends are going to do a book club on it. So um, where, when, when does the book come out, Nicole? March 9th. March 9th. Okay. All right. Great. So I'll be posting, you know, it on billboards that it's out on March 9th. I'm so excited for you. And I'm just so thankful that you held this space with us today. I'm so thankful for the education, your lived experience, and the way that you communicate so clearly, but also just so relatably. And I'm just, one, on a personal level, just so thankful for your work. And I know that you have changed so many lives and you'll continue to change so many lives. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Alexis. Thank you all listeners out there for um, opening your mind to some of this. So thank you.